This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Blizzard Watch, the podcast where we watch Blizzard Entertainment and its games most intently. I'm Matt Rossi, and with me this week is just one co-host, but that's how we're rolling, so you guys are going to have to get used to just the two of us. I know we don't talk very much but you'll have to just hold on and do your best. Uh, she does practically everything for the site, um, and she's really, really getting ready to start her Horde character because she's been playing Alliance like me. And Stickney, Anne, what have you been thinking about the Horde stuff? What you, you said you wanted to do Nazmir first? Yeah, I want to do Nazmir first. The thing is, okay, when I played on beta... I didn't do a lot of actual playtime playtime through the zones. Um, I did all of Drustfar that was available and a little bit of Stormsong. Um, I can't remember if I did Tiragard or not. I don't think I ended up doing Tiragard because then I was going over to the Horde side and I did a little bit of Voldoon and a little bit of Nazmir. But I went through all of these zones and took screenshots of all of the different areas just you know, so we'd have a gallery of all the pretty, pretty beta stuff and all the weird beta stuff because, let's face it, some of those early days in development, like the models were different or buildings were in different places or ships didn't actually have like textures to them, that kind of thing. Um, so I didn't actually like play through both sides in completion on the beta. Well, I just finished the majority of the Alliance side. I still have to do Mythic Siege of Boralis, and then once I'm done with that, I'm done with that, like, that main storyline, except for, you know, the war campaign, which is obvious, but I I'm done with that main storyline for the Alliance side. So I have a Horde character lined up, and I really want to go to Nazmir first, because that little bit that I played of Nazmir was pretty great. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I liked Nazmir, but... I did Drisvar first on my first tour alliance character, mm -hmm. and I've I've been leveling like I just got my second to 120, and I'm working on a third who's like 114. I've done a lot of Drisvar, so I want to start with something that's less creepy. And Nazmir is real creepy. I mean, in a good way, but still. That's, that's why, why I, I want to start there. <laughs> I want to take a break and go see Voldoon because I've not Voldoon's the one I've I've not seen. Period. I've not done the Horde version at all. So I want to go look, take a look at that on this character yeah, once Voldoon, I get there. Voldoon was one of the last areas that they... It was Voldoon and Stormsong were like the two last areas that they opened on the beta. So we spent way more time with the other zones and with being able to explore and jump around the other zones and stuff than we did with those two in particular. Um, yeah. And once they were all opened up and everything, of course, you know, things got busy. I didn't necessarily have a lot of time to play the video game and also play the beta. <laughs> yeah, that is true. It I is need more hours in the day. Can we just make that happen? 
But yeah, that's um, we're talking about Battle for Azeroth, of course, because it is still the big thing happening. But there's there's more news than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, last week, did did we? How much did we get a chance to even talk about Diablo last week? Did I don't we talk about the really... Switch. Um, no, because I don't think it was like official official as of yet. No, because yeah. when we went live, it just it, been announced it through, had... through a leak. Uh, yeah, it was like it was leaked information, but it wasn't confirmed information. And then while we were doing the show, all of a sudden it popped up as confirmed. So, so we, we didn't should, get a chance to talk about it at all. <laughs> we should talk about that. I mean, it's not in the news thing that I wrote because I had forgotten, but, you know, we're here. Okay. Um. Yeah, Diablo 3 coming off of the Switch that was announced at Gamescom. Um, that's pretty big because it's one of those things. It's been a rumor that's been out for a while. But it's also big because they teased um, earlier this month that they were going to have multiple Diablo announcements this year, and some of them would take longer to come out than others. We've since then gotten the comic book announced, and now we have the Switch announced, as well as the Book of Adria coming out in October. So I, I don't. That's like portable Diablo three is not something I ever thought was going to happen. Um, it's the Switch a perfect being, game for it, though. Really. Yeah. I'm I'm really looking forward to the, like the the Eternal Collection. I can't even. Here's the thing: I don't have a Switch, and I can't afford to buy one right now. But I'm still excited for this because a) it's more Diablo, b) it's the entirety of it. The Eternal Collection is everything. Um, so I'm hoping they'll do something similar for uh, the Xbox and the uh, PlayStation at some point. But it's it's got all it's got the original game, it's got Reaper of Souls, and it's got the Rise of Necromancer pack all in one. It's so you here's buy this, you get everything. I have a good question for you. Um, say, in theory... Well, okay, you have Diablo on console, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Can you play with people on PC when you're playing on console? No. You can't? You cannot, no. Oh, that stinks. My nephews... Yeah. Um, my my sister brought her husband and three of the four nephews over to the house last Friday, and they were very excitedly telling me about how they had just gotten a Switch and they were going to get Diablo when it came out. And I'm like... Maybe I'll be able to play with you guys. That would be cool. But no. I don't like <laughs> right now. I know that you can't with the current consoles. I don't know how the Switch mm. is going to work. It. I don't know if they're going to try and do it. Uh, it I would think it'd be re- cool if they could make it compatible because then I could play with them. It'd be great. <laughs> I think one of the reasons it doesn't work is because the control scheme is different. Yeah. The uh, console, the console version of Diablo Three, quite frankly, is a better game to play than the PC version. Um, I play them both. Uh, most of my PC, my time is PC. Actually, I play on the PC more than I do on the Xbox because we only have one Xbox in the house, but we have two computers. So if my wife and I want to play together, we play on the computer. Whereas if I'm just playing by myself, I'll, I play on the Xbox. It's it's got a nice roll scheme where you can like you, you can dodge and roll out of danger that you know, I wish the PC version had because it's when you're pushing rifts and you're trying to get so up you there. can't play. Well, no, I guess it wouldn't be possible to do that. I was going to say, you can't play two-player on the Xbox if you have two controllers. No, because you have to be on two different accounts at the same, and that would just be a logistics thing. Yeah, I, I, I don't know like well, all the reasons you can't do it, but yeah, yeah you, Code, you can't. mostly. <laughs> yeah. But it, you know, still, I mean... Battle.net only does so much. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's still an amazing game, so I'm, I'm yeah. really looking forward to that. I'm also hoping that we'll hear more. Uh, Gamescom's over. We didn't hear any huge news for Diablo at Gamescom aside from the Switch. So I'm hoping that this year's BlizzCon will be the year when we get like some some feel, future announcements. I feel like it's time. <laughs> I just I feel like it's time. 
Come well, plus, on. I mean, they, they put out both Hearthstone and WoW had their big expansions launch uh, this month. Yeah. You're, you're not going to, like, I don't know. Overwatch doesn't even have anything like an expansion plan that we know of. I mean, they could surprise us. They might bust out with a new hero, probably yeah. a new map or something like that. Well, more likely a new hero because they just announced Busan. So yeah. um, we might so be looking at a new hero. I don't know. but Like, Heroes of the Storm's on a pretty reliable, here's a new hero, here's a new map, here's both types schedule where they, they put stuff out all the time. But I don't, like, we're not going to see a lot of really big surprises the only game that really could give us big surprises this year is Diablo, in and my opinion. Can we talk about Heroes of the Storm and how they just busted out Mephisto? Yeah, we should actually talk about that. Um, yeah. Mephisto is the, the newest hero in Heroes of the Storm. Is he out yet, or are they still in is I think still he's in, in still in testing. I don't think that he's been released as of yet. I think um, yeah. probably next week. I don't know. I don't know how long they keep him on the PTR. Usually not more than a few weeks. Um, yeah. Just to you know, hammer out the balance stuff and that kind of thing. He's got an amazing collection of skins. Um, but beyond yeah. that, gosh, they're reaching really far into the Diablo well, aren't they? Hmm. Doing doing Mephisto is interesting because the only one left to do is Baal. Yeah. Of the Primevals, and in terms of the Primevals, Mephisto is the big deal in Diablo two, and then Baal is the big villain of Diablo two, uh, Lord of Destruction, the expansion to, to Diablo two. That's interesting to me because we haven't really the end of Diablo three basically resets the status quo, and we have no idea what the situation is with these characters. Um, there's a bunch of stuff that goes on. I'm, it's not. It's a. It's a six-year-old game. I don't feel like I'm spoiling anything to say that. No. At the at the end of Diablo three, before you go into Reaper of Souls, uh, Diablo's the only primeval left, and he's absorbed everybody else. And at the end of Reaper of Souls, the soulstone that's holding all of their essences is shattered, and it's possible they all escaped. Which would mean that for the first time... Yeah, Diablo isn't game, just Diablo in Diablo 3. He's like a nice little burrito of everybody. Yeah. And the, the end of Diablo 3, Reaper of Souls, basically sets things up so that for the first time since the original Diablo, all the prime evils and all the lesser evils are free. And the civil war in hell could be back on. That is an interesting status quo that I really feel like we're going to, we're getting the, the comic feels like it's teasing in that direction. And it's not just that all of those guys could potentially be free. I mean, you're looking at that, but you're also looking at the fact that the Nephilim themselves have grown so powerful that even like the angels are worried a little yeah. bit. Well, when an archangel decides to go crazy and kill off everybody on sanctuary, mm-hmm. that, 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 that archangel was using the power of the primeval itself to, against him and he's still lost so yeah there's but a lot of but at the end of Reaper hooks. of Souls there Tyrael was just kind of a little bit well yeah of course he was because um, I don't know Tyr- if this was such a good idea you know Tyrael standing there next to like the the the, uh, the Archangel of um, Valor and neither of them knows if they can take that guy think about it the guy who's and that's dark- pretty yeah. crazy <laughs> yeah at this point they're like um he just beat an archangel using the power of all the giant devil people we've been fighting. He just beat that. What, how do we stop this guy? If he decides to destroy the universe, I have no idea. So yeah, there's a lot. I really want them to take, pick up on. I want that expansion to, to come out or either an expansion or a new, I want a new game to be honest. Well, that's I want, why I want I was, yeah. That's why I was kind of curious. Cause it's like, they left it on that note with Diablo three. And then obviously, you know what heroes of the storm, what they pick and everything and what they choose and what heroes they decide to go with. It's got no bearing on anything at all, but 
it just feels a little bit suspect that they went yeah. back to the Diablo 2 well for this particular hero instead of grabbing somebody yeah, we, else from Diablo 3, you know? We haven't had Mephisto in, in anything since no. the, the 90s. So, he yeah, wasn't it was, in Diablo 3. Like, no. just he not is, there. He makes no, makes no appearance. So, yeah. Speaking of going back, though, um, mm-hmm. there's a story this week that I find really interesting. Yes. Uh, we, we did a thing about it. There's a... Uh, the the Wow Diary Kickstarter. The Wow Diary. Oh man, that Kickstarter! That Kickstarter was fully funded within ten minutes of its opening, and that's fantastic because it totally deserves it. So the guy who's writing this, his name is John Stats, and you might not be familiar with his name because obviously, you know, he's no longer with the company. He's moved on to other stuff. But if you've played World of Warcraft, you're familiar with his work because this is the guy that designed. Encourage, Black Fathom Depths, Blackwing Lair, Booty Bay, some of Karazhan. He he designed that one in conjunction with somebody else. But Molten Core, Upper and Lower Black Rock Spire, Scalamance, Warsong Gulch. Like, the list goes on. This guy had a hand yeah. in all of this stuff. He designed all of it. He was he, he built dungeons. That was his thing. Um, and what's really interesting, too, is when I was reading the thing about it was that Skullnance didn't even intend to exist as a dungeon. No, he was just poking around and kind of putting stuff together. So anyway, Stats um, decided to write a book about his experiences working on World of Warcraft and what the early days of World of Warcraft were like from the other side of the curtain, like behind the curtain where the developers were all working nonstop and coming up with cool things. And uh, he's had excerpts pers- posted here and there. Uh, the one on Wowhead, it's a, it's just a chapter about Scalamance and how Scalamance came to be and what it was like after it launched. Um, some of the hiccups that went on. There's a wonderful little cameo from Jeff Kaplan in there where he, t- he recalls going to Jeff Kaplan's office and telling him, hey, um, the spawn rate maybe kind of a little bit crazy and there was like this fun back and forth between different departments like this is a fascinating book and I can't wait for it to come out um, he tried to fund it once before on Kickstarter and the funding didn't go through like it wasn't successful this time around like I said within 10 minutes I mean the Kickstarter had a $10,000 goal to go ahead and print um, he's at uh, 175000 now so way to go dude i'm really looking forward to this book and not only is this book coming out if if you pledge on kickstarter you get it early you get the book early but it will be hitting amazon apparently um next year like early 2019 it'll be available on amazon as well so if you miss out on the kickstarter it's okay there will be other opportunities to buy this book however the fundraiser still has 26 days to go on it so um you should check that out over on kickstarter it's just the world of warcraft diary um if you're interested in that kind of behind the scenes look the other thing that i found kind of interesting and i discovered this while poking around a lot of people offered feedback and one of the pieces of feedback that people offered was that the cover for the book it looks kind of like um a textbook (laughs) like it's not really super visually interesting it looks like one of those old textbooks that you get in school like a science textbook he posted a comment on somebody uh to somebody that had mentioned this and he said yeah i did that very deliberately he said this is not licensed material this isn't anything coming out of blizzard this isn't like one of their polished pretty products under their banner or anything this is something i'm writing on my own so i wanted it to be really visually distinct from any of blizzard's licensed products so that people don't confuse the two 
Which, no, and that's fair. You don't want yeah. to copy trade dress. Yeah. Companies get really sensitive about trade dress, quite he, frankly. And he does have permission from Blizzard to print all of this stuff, apparently. You know, they talk to him, he talked to them. And I'm looking forward to it coming out, because it looks like a really good book. Um, if you're at all interested in the stuff that goes on behind the scenes... World of Warcraft's been around, what, like... 14? 14 years. 14 it started years. development. Yeah, it started, started high school. <laughs> started development in 2000. Yeah. So the first the first in house alpha builds were in like early late 2000 early 2001. So yeah, this is a game that has been around a while. It's just really uh, cool to see the kind of the behind the scenes stuff about this is how it was when it first you know was like a twinkle in a designer's eye somewhere, and this is how it all came together. Um, there's just some crazy stories about it. I mean, it runs fairly smoothly now. They have all kinds of different departments for different things, but they didn't back then. Back then, no. it was kind of crazy. So, yeah, if you're interested in that book, go check it out on Kickstarter. You yeah. can support it there and order a copy. They have digital copies available. They have hardcover copies available. Um, you could pick your poison, pick whichever one you want. And if you don't want to, like, if you don't have the money to throw down for the Kickstarter right now, don't worry. It'll be on Amazon later anyway. So cool. Yeah. Another thing we should talk about, although we covered it on, uh, on Lore Watch this weekend, but we should still mention that the Ashara Warbringer short came out last week uh, at Gamescom. We should talk about that anyway because Lore Watch doesn't hit the website until Monday. So, <laughs> yeah, but I'm just uh, we can't go into one a really deep lore dive here because that's not the purpose of the show. Although with the two of us on, it, who knows what's going to happen? But yeah, th- that came out, and I'm going to say this: all these Warbringer shorts have been great. They've all been extremely well made. They've all been extremely effective. The Sylvanas one like hit me like a gut punch. The Jaina one is like really good at being spooky and terrifying. It's just painfully beautiful. The Ashara one. Oof. Yeah, the Ashara one, in my opinion, is the best of the three. Um, I've, yeah. I I've watched it eighteen times. I've I've picked it out like every little bit of it. From her standing there at the opening, trying to keep the wave from crushing the city and almost succeeding. Um, and I've said this before. In in Legion, we go to Suramar, where we find out that you know after the you know when when the wave was coming to crush Suramar, they used the power of a of an artifact left behind by the Titans to create a magical you know source of power, which they then used with every mage in their city to stop the wave from crushing their city. Like we're talking hundreds of mages. And multiple and magical some artifacts. Super, super powerful, supercharged yeah. artifacts to do it. Yeah. And Ashara, by herself, with nothing, nearly pulled off the same trick. And the only reason she didn't was because she was trying to shield a much bigger area by herself. There was nobody helping her. It they were all just screaming crazy. and running around. Yeah. That's the opening scene. And you see her you see her ruthlessness, her determination, her intelligence. Uh, this is a character we've we've been w- wondering about and waiting for and seeing hints of since again going back to vanilla since we first went to the zone as Shara and you see some statues of a beautiful figure and you're like who who is this person and you're like it's toppled and like the head is on the ground and there are little statue. books about the war of the ancients that are sprinkled around that talk about her but you never see her there's just like it's like yeah she's the leader of the naga but you never see her you fight lots and lots of naga. Throughout even every when, expansion, yeah. all over the place, even on Outland, they're out there. <laughs> remember, remember when you first did Burning Crusade, and there's that Naga heretic who's trying to turn them to the worship of Neptalon? Yes. 
you're like, you know, what is the deal with this guy? What's the deal with Vosh here? What's going on? And all of this just keeps has been, you know, building and building. And finally, Ashara is going to be in this game. We're getting and, some payoff. I'm so happy. Yeah. And we've seen, we've actually seen quite a bit. If you've leveled on either faction side, you've seen Ashara's work. She's already heavily involved in this expansion before we even get to see her like in a raid or anything like that. She's already felt like her, her handprints are all over this thing. So yeah, the, the, this is one of my favorite Warbringers uh, by far. Just that, and the interaction between um, Ashara and Nazoth in it. I mean, he doesn't actually come out and say, I'm Nazoth, but you know. It, it's it, Nazoth. It's, yeah, it's Nazoth. The interaction, um, the actors did an amazing job. Um, Can I well, just talk, say, yeah, you, Darren, you Darren DePaul continues to baffle me with the range of things that he can do with his voice because that's that's reinhardt you guys that's black hand that's uh like that's a lot of people <laughs> in one person <laughs> and yeah. have you ever heard him do a gnome voice he's real good at gnome voices it's really crazy <laughs> and not to like i don't want to take anything away from him he did do an amazing job but i want to say that laura post has taken the role so of ashara good she's, she's so been doing good. ashara for a while uh, I don't know how long. I think at least since uh, Cataclysm. Yeah. Because she she made an appearance there really briefly. Yeah. But yeah. this this watching this she does she goes from like determined and angry to stunned to you know confused to unyielding and and carries them all off. The the part where where she and Nazoth have their confrontation. Th- there's a line from um a Terry Pratchett book. I think it's uh, guards guards guards. Where the the characters of Carrot is talking to someone and the, the person who's with him, Sam, says, I've seen someone bluff with a bad hand before, but I've never seen someone bluff with no cards before. Ashara yeah. is literally – she's got nothing to to win with here. She's got nothing. But she's also got nothing to lose. Exactly. She she goes – she tells Nazoth. Nazoth's like, do what I want and serve me. And she's like, no. And he's like, I'll, you'll die. And she's like, yes, but I'll die a queen. And there's just that – that moment, that exchange between the two of them, that both actors did an amazing job with. Yeah, it's, it's... a really good. It's a really good one. I I don't know. <sighs> See, the Jaina one is still my favorite, I think, but that's just because I love the music for that one so much. Mm-hmm. And really, that's the only reason is I love the music for that one so much. But oh yeah, and, and you know, Laura did an amazing job singing it. Yeah, that there's nothing. Not trying to take anything away from her. Um, yeah. you know. But in terms of just in there's, terms of pure storytelling, yeah, there's the, two things that I've been waiting for a payoff for. Number one, I've been waiting for Jaina. I have been because she's gone through so much, and then she just sort of was at a standstill. So I was waiting for something to happen with her, and they're actually moving her forward and doing it in a really kind of substantial way. If you played through the Alliance, if you finish all three Alliance zones, there's a series of quests that where you find out more about Jaina and what happened to her and what's going on in her head. And it's all presented so beautifully. The cinematics team did such a good job. It made me cry because everything makes me cry lately. I don't know. (laughs) It was really beautifully done. And I'm really looking forward to seeing the end end of it. Once I finish that pesky mythic this weekend, I swear it will happen. I don't know when I'll get to do it. I don't know if it'll be this weekend. We are doing some mythics in my guild. We did two last night, so I'm hoping that I can get, either if I can't if I get, can't find a guild group interested in doing Siege Baralis, I can I'll maybe try and pug it. If you need another so. DPS, let me know. <laughs> well, I'm hoping to tank it. That's the thing. 
Uh, I've been switching between tanking and DPS on my Death Knight, so I'm hoping to tank it. But yeah, Siege of Boralus is it for me, but I've already moved on to starting to play level a horde because I want to start getting to see that side of things. There's a yes. lot to see over there. Yes. But uh, we should talk really briefly about something you wrote a post about. Um, Which one? The, the hidden aquatic areas in Battle for Azeroth. Okay. Weirdness is going on, right? I didn't... I don't know why it never occurred to me. It never occurred to me on the beta. But it makes perfect sense. We have the Tortolan. They're a race of turtle people. Of course, they're not going to live on the land all the time. Why would they? They're turtle people. Well, tortoise people. Whatever. They're aquatic. There are certain areas of the world in both Kul Tiris and Zandalar where if you swim under the ocean, you will find Tortolan places. There's a bar out in the middle of the big harbor in Tiragard Sound. There's an underwater bar down there called the Whale's Belly. And when you go into it, it gives you a buff so that, you know, you aren't drowning down there or anything. And you can walk around. There's vendors. There's a disco ball. <laughs> There's patrons all over the place. And they're just hanging out. Um, and I thought that was pretty cool. But over in Zandalar off the, I think it's like the northwest coast. There's like a little, there's a little bay off to the side of Nazmir, not Nazmir, um, Zoldazar. There's a, there's a little bay off to the western, on the western coast, which you can't really get to unless you do a substantial amount of swimming. There's no reason for you to go out there. There's like no quests out there or anything, but if you're underwater, you'll find a little, it's, it's almost kind of like a little Tortolan village. There's a couple there that are getting married. There's little fireworks going on. There's a bunch of kids running around playing tag. None of this has any purpose. There's no, there's no quests. There's no reason for you to be there. It's just there under the water where you wouldn't really expect to see it. And then if you go back to Kul Tiris outside of any port, just under, just un underground from any port, you go, you go down into the water. There's another little bar down there called the Drunk Tank. And there's a little room off to the side where a couple, a couple of Tortolan are playing Hearthstone. I mean, and again, no quests. Nothing special down there, to my knowledge. There's some vendors that'll sell you some booze because, of course, it's a bar. But otherwise, there's no real purpose to it. I have not finished swimming because... There is so much water <laughs> in both of these both of these areas. There's so much water to explore, and I'm sure that there are more hidden places out there, maybe that I haven't found yet. But it's weird to me that these are all there. There's no context for them being there other than they're just there. And if you, know, you happen to go swimming, maybe you'll find them. This reminds me of what I I remember. I think it was Ian talking about this on mm -hmm. the, the thing last week about how. Legion zones tended to feel a little on rails. Like yeah, everything everything in a Legion zone was was tied up in the big story. And that they've tried to make the uh zones in Battle for Azeroth. They have a story. There's a main story to every zone, but they also have places where they just branch off and there's other stuff there's to do. There's a lot of little points of interest all over the place. And I find it funny that he said that about Legion because I never really felt that with Legion. I felt it with Cataclysm. Cataclysm, yeah, but but uh, you know what was even worse than Cataclysm? What? A Warlords. Warlords was pretty straightforward. Yeah. Yeah, I I just I remember like we we did a post about this one the uh, the the weird little quest in Drosvar where you just stumble upon a, a druid out in the middle of nowhere, uh, and then you do some quests to help them out, 
and then they introduce you to their red dragon friend that just happens oh, to I be haven't, there. Oh, I haven't seen this quest. Oh. I haven't well, seen this quest. Oh. See, I finished the main story in Dressfar, but I haven't done all the side stuff yet. Where is this? Yeah. Um, it's to the south. Okay. Uh, it's That's the one area I haven't gone to yet, is down in the south by the ruins down there. If you go, like, since I'm actually looking at an article you just wrote about um, in aquatic areas that happens to have a picture of Dressfar in it. Yeah. You have the Crimson Forest. Uh-huh. Go down the mountains south from Aram Stand and stay in the mountains, but kind of nearish the Crimson Forest. Is it where? And explore that it, area around there. I was going to say, is it where all of the ruins are? Where you go, like further south? Further it's like south right, than that. Okay. It's almost to the coast. Okay. It's in the mountains in that area. I have to go look at that later. Because <laughs> you, you get that quest, and um, without talking too much about it, since you haven't done it. Uh, if you do it on a death knight, it is a substantially different experience than if you do it on any other class. Oh, I gotta go get my death yeah. knight. <laughs> yeah. It's it is very interesting. Um, I will say that much, and it can it can play a bunch of different ways. You can actually play it like you can play it like conciliatory or non, and the quest is different. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. They've they've put in things like that. They've put in callbacks to the Sand Fury. Trolls over in uh, in Zuldazar, they do callbacks to some really old stuff. Remember the Sand Fury? We haven't seen the Sand Fury since Zulfarak. Yeah. And now they're back. They 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 get callbacks. So it's there's a lot. This expansion. I can't imagine done a lot the though. Sand Fury are terribly happy either. No. No. <laughs> not they have not been having a good time. No. <laughs> We've been part of that. A big part of that. Whoops. Alliance <laughs> or Horde? Really? You, you mess those guys over. Yeah. Um. Okay, one thing we, we should talk about, because we always talk about it, uh, the Overwatch League Season 1 is well and truly over now, I guess, with the All-Star yeah, Weekend. Was this week. They had the All-Star Weekend. The All-Stars Weekend was last weekend, which was fantastic. It was a bunch of really, really, really crazy games that they weren't traditional matches in any capacity. There was like a 1v1 Widowmaker shootout. Um, but the cool part was they had a series that was played between the on-air talent. So all of the casters <laughs> all of the casters got to play against each other. And that was a match to see. Because these guys are not pros. They talk about Overwatch. But they are not like, they aren't on a professional level gameplay-wise, necessarily. Um, they're good, though. It was a good series of matches. Um, the other thing to note that I thought was really cool was uh, they ended up, they gave away the first uh, Hawelka Award, um, and that went to Mickey over on the Dallas Fuel, which I thought was fantastic because um, he's one of those players that's always kind of like a ball of sunshine, really, honestly. Every time you saw him, even if the Dallas Fuel were having a bad day or whatever. Mickey was always like the really, really bright spark in that group. So I think it was a perfectly fitting person to get that award. Um, and that kind of put a cap on all of Overwatch Season 1. We aren't going to be seeing any more Overwatch League until Season 2 starts. I'm assuming they haven't they haven't announced any dates for Season 2 or anything like that, um, but I'm assuming that if it plays out like season one did, we'll see preseason start in December and then we'll see the season two start in January. But with them adding new teams to the roster, like there's, there's new teams that are going to be added um, mm. that might change up scheduling. I, I don't know how they're going to handle all of that. We haven't heard anything on that. I guess that's for them to figure out in the off season and then they'll let us know when they've got information on it. 
I finally got to watch like the the, the uh, recordings of the last series of matches for the finals. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember the player's name off the top of my head, but whoever it is who's on the London Spitfires who can beat an entire team by himself, that person should just be retired. Because uh, no. did you see that? Did you see that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh my God! Like they had killed everybody else on his team, and it was looking like you know Philadelphia was going to win, and it just like no, he just no, he no, wouldn't boom, let. Boom, 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 boom. No, they have some ridiculously talented players. I mean, I all over the place. Every team, every team has ridiculously. These people play on a level that I can't even like begin to even think about. I play Overwatch and I enjoy playing Overwatch, but I'm not very good at it, especially when I look at dudes like these guys. Um, I'm just, I'm, there's no way, there's no way I will ever be on that level, but man, it makes for a fun series. It really okay. does. I'm looking forward to season two. We should talk about the, uh, the Overwatch, uh, other Overwatch story though. We've got the, um, hidden Roadhog nerfs on the PTR. It's just one, uh, it's just one nerf. Um, yeah. and it wasn't that it was hidden. It was just that it was kind of there in the patch notes, but there was no clarification about it or anything like that. Roadhog on the PTR, he's had a bug fixed. They called this a bug fix that prevents his alternate fire. Um, it, it There was a bug there that prevented Roadhog's alternate fire from calculating fall-off damage correctly. Um, and the thing is, is like, it's... He was ridiculously helpful at breaking barriers and shields. And with this change, he may not be so good at it anymore. Which changes whether or not people will want to, like, pick him up or not. Because usually Roadhog was a pretty solid pick if you were going up, you know, if you were going up against a Reinhardt or you were going up against, you know, a Brigida or something like that. Anybody that's got a shield like that. Roadhog was usually the one that was really great at tearing through those, and suddenly he's not quite as effective. I'm not sure how this is going to play out. Um, it might not be, you know, the beginning of like a shield only meta or anything like that, but it's still a substantial change, particularly for players that have been playing Roadhog all this time. And there was something similar to that um, back a ways. They did the same thing with Moira. Her healing was bug fixed so that it no longer penetrated barriers and everybody had been playing it as, okay, this is a feature. This is how it's supposed to work. This is how Moira is supposed to play. Only it turned out that that was not how Moira was supposed to play all along. So when they fixed that, it changed because it actually like shifted her position in the meta and how you wanted to play her because she was so substantially different. And they keep calling this, oh, it's a bug fix. This was a bug. It wasn't supposed to happen. But so many players were playing it as if that bug was just how you were supposed to play the character. That if when they don't they make, tell you it's a bug, yeah. Yeah, when they, make these, a bug. when they make these changes like this, Without saying anything about it, all of a sudden it feels like that hero that you've been playing really effectively all this time doesn't feel right anymore, or all of a sudden you have to start playing that hero differently. So I guess the big thing to take away here is that we kind of wish that Overwatch, when they're making these changes and these little adjustments that maybe seem like minor adjustments or minor bug fixes, it would be nice if they would kind of expand on that a little and point out how this is going to affect gameplay instead of just dropping it in the patch notes and not really saying anything about it, you know? Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. So if you play Rogue Roadhog, you may want to hop on the PTR and check him out and check out the changes because it might switch up how you want to play the guy or how much you want to play the guy or what situations you want to play him in now. 
pretty much. All right. Well, I think at this point, the only thing left to talk about is the auction house. Um, there was some lots of lots of problems with the uh, auction house in World of Warcraft. Uh, if you've been playing Battle for Azeroth oh, and trying to use the auction house, you've probably already run into them. Okay, um, I'm gonna I'm go. gonna give you a caveat for that though. Okay. If you're playing on a high pop realm, if you're playing on one of the high pop realms, you may or may not even be able to use the auction house right now. And this is apparently a really common thing that I wasn't aware of personally. I play on a role-playing server. There's not a lot of people on my server. I never see a problem with the auction house. Is it clunky? Yes. Is it outdated? Absolutely. But is it ever at a point where I can't use it? No. Because we don't have a ton of people there. There's not a ton of listings there. On these high-pop realms, though, you have people that are doing... They are basically listing single items. You know how they do that. Hundreds and thousands of them. Yeah. I feel like one of the ones I've seen, and keep in mind, I play on a different bunch of different servers. Yeah. My main servers are Echo Isles for my main character mm-hmm. and my, one of my alts. Um, then I have two characters, one on Scenario Circle, one on, on Sisters of Aloon that I'm playing. My Horde characters on Sisters of Aloon. So those servers, Sisters of Aloon uh, and Scenario Circle are relatively low pop because they're both RP servers. Um, however, Echo Isles is mid-pop. It's it's higher than some, smaller than others. On Echo Isles, when people decide they're going to list 30 or 40 Storm Silver, like one of them at a time, and like five people do this, forget loading ore. Yeah. You, will, you won't get it to work. It'll just sit there forever. So, and it yeah. gets worse at the beginning of an expansion because everybody's gathering all kinds of new ore as they're leveling. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to offload that ore as, as quickly as they can, so everybody starts posting it. And when you're on a high pop server like, I don't know, say Proudmore, oh, that yeah, means that the whole thing, you can't load anything on there. You can't do anything with it. Um, so Blizzard is trying something a little bit different, which they brought up in the dev Q&A, and it's a good idea in theory. Um they're basically going to be increasing the deposit cost of some of the profession materials on a per stack basis. So if you post something that's like one stack of 200 linen or whatever in your buyout, they they have a, let me run through the example here. Okay, it says, now imagine that an additional 20% deposit added to the listing fee per auction. With an asking price of 10 gold each, that raises the deposit by 2 gold per stack. In the case of one stack of 200 linen, the total buyout price is 2,000 G, and the new deposit is 2 gold, 1 silver. In the case of 200 individual stacks, the new deposit of an additional 2 gold per stack brings the total deposit up to 402 gold. So it's a flat rate, pretty much, no matter how much of an item you are putting up there. But if you're just doing single stack after single stack, that flat rate adds up super, super quick. It basically incentivizes you to make your stack as big as possible. Right. So you're paying less proportional to the amount that you're auctioning. Yeah. The thing is, is like, on the one hand, this sounds like a good idea, right? It sounds like a workable idea. On the other hand, the people that are doing these single item listings in the thousands, like the people that are doing all of this stuff, these are people that have more than likely been playing the auction house for a very long time, and they have a lot of gold. Like, uh, and they're going to get it back gold. anyway. It's and a they're going to get it back as soon as their item sells. So I don't think 
I don't think this is really going to discourage them from continuing to do exactly what they're doing. But I think that there's like a bigger kind of systemic problem going on here. And it has to do with the auction house itself. The auction house, I think, is probably one of the oldest systems in the game, if not the oldest system in the game. It hasn't ever really gotten... It hasn't gotten a substantial revamp. It's had categories added. It's had categories added, and they linked them back in, I want to say in Burning Crusade, but maybe a little bit more recently. They linked all the auction houses between various major cities. Yeah. So if you go to, you can go to the Exodar, or you can go to... Because they added, it it used to be, um, initially, when the game first launched, there was an auction house in Ironforge, and there was an auction house in Orgrimmar. And that was it. Those were the only two spots you could go. They added the one in Stormwind and and in Darnass, and all of that came later. <laughs> and then they weren't they weren't even linked even after they got introduced. They weren't linked for a while. So you, no. And then the yeah. Goblin, the neutral auction houses that were over in Gadgetzan and Winterspring, those guys weren't linked with the main auction house system at all. They were a separate thing, I think. I think they still are, aren't they? I don't know. I think they've all gotten looped together. But yeah, the, other than that, I mean, they really, this is not a system that's changed. And it's a system that's really dependent on automation, in my opinion. Like, people use tons of add-ons to make the ad, the auction house workable. Yeah. And that's, you know, I, I'm not saying you shouldn't use add-ons. In fact, like I said, it's not workable without them. But I feel like we're, the point, we're at the point now where just to use the auction house to look for a transmog gear, I need two add-ons. I need one add-on that, that looks in, at whether or not I've collected that appearance, and I need another add-on that's capable of searching the whole thing for bargains. And that's kind of crazy to think about it. I think it's reached a point where if you need an add-on to utilize the basic fun- functionality of the auction house, something that people use pretty much every day and have been using every day, since the game came out in 2004, maybe the auction house needs to be revamped. Because the thing is, is like when they came out with the remote auction house, a lot of people really loved the remote auction house because it was a way, way better interface. It worked so much better than the in-game version that there were people, you know, people that ran auctions all the time and did that kind of thing. They would do so through the mobile version or they would do so through the remote, the web version because it just worked better. It just worked better. That was the thing. (laughs) And when something on the outside works better than the intrinsic thing that is built into your game, maybe you should be looking at that thing in your game. They've revamped everything else. I mean, they've gone back. Who was it? I think Anna said something about the origami frogs. (laughs) They revamped the origami frogs that looked like they were folded out of a single sheet of paper and changed the model on those. But the auction house is still the same clonker it's been since vanilla. So Uh, I got to agree with you there. Maybe it's, maybe it's time to update it. And You know, when they brought up this whole deposit change, when they brought it up on the forums, they did say that they're also working to, quote unquote, broadly improve the default auction house in the future. But when is the future? Like, when is this something we should expect next expansion? Is this something that we should expect? Is it going to come out when the dance studio does? Like, yeah, is this Blizzard soon? (laughs) There was no TM involved and the word soon wasn't said, but. It's it's needed. It's desperately needed, particularly for people that are on those high pop realms, because they've got no way. They've got no way to use this thing that's kind of a basic part of how you play the video game, you know. And for some people, it is their game. I mean, some people, the auction house is how they play WoW. Yeah, 
It's oh, just okay. it, it's just one of those things where it's like maybe maybe that should be bumped up in priority a notch or I don't know three dozen. Anyway. Yeah, we, at this point though, we should probably move on and do some emails. Okay. Uh, since we're at this point in the show, um, if you have an email for the show, please send it to podcast at blizzardwatch dot com with the subject line podcast or Blizzard Watch, uh, so we know it's for this show. Um, that's basically you know the whole process. So if you've got an email, guys, send them on in. Ann reads them for us, and since it's just me and Ann at this point, it was going to be one of us. It's her. <laughs> uh, if you don't mind. Um, let's go ahead and jump over to uh, Discord. Let's answer that one first. Yeah. There's a question here from Marebrood that says, question for the podcast. Do you believe the changes in tanking have resulted in the crazy dungeon queue times we're seeing? On average through the leveling experience, including at 120, it's taken me an average of 1.5 to 3 hours to successfully get into a dungeon as DPS. I'm not a huge fan of tanking, especially with the recent threat changes, and definitely not healing. I don't mind there being a longer wait for DPS, but 2 plus hours regularly is crazy. Do you think Blizzard will address this somehow? Well, I can tell you my experience playing a Death Knight at 120 right now. Okay. Um, if I set up to tank, I'm in the dungeon immediately. Like, I, I cannot get in. The dungeon literally comes to my house and, like, falls down on its knees and goes, please enter me! That's how fast I get into it. If I sign up for DPS, I don't wait, and I haven't waited 1.5 to 3 hours. I have routinely waited an hour. Like every single time I have what I have noticed, however, is that the estimated times are not accurate at all. Like if it tells you, oh, you're going to have a 15 minute wait time. Don't pay attention to it because it does not know it, it's 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 guessing. The game is guessing because I've been I've had a 15 minute wait time expected wait 15 minutes. I've had that last me an hour uh, and I'm I don't know what's going on with the queue for uh getting into dungeons. I don't know what the problem is. I don't know if it's just tanking. I don't know if it's tanks or healers. I can say that the tank changes are not as significant as many people, including myself, and I'll be upfront with that, said they were, but we're still early times. We haven't seen what's going to happen once gear gets a lot better and player DPS goes way, way up. Uh, right now, Talking to other tanks and tanking myself, a lot of other tanks tell me that they feel really squishy, that they don't feel like they have any self-healing they can use to meaningfully contribute, that they're just absolutely at the – they can't help their healer keep them up. They, they either – the healer is on the ball and keeps them up or the healer can't do it, and there's nothing the tank can do to help them. Okay, I have a uh, question for you going back okay. to the queuing thing and the queue times. When you're queuing up, are you queuing up for heroics or regular dungeons? Right now, Heroics. Uh, okay. Before, it was regular dungeons. And it was still taking you forever? Regular dungeons, it really depended on what the role was. Like, as a tank, boom in immediately. Regular dungeons, it was a lot faster than Heroics, but okay. I, I routinely saw 45-minute wait times. Okay, here's why I'm confused. And this is, again, my own personal experience, and I may be an outlier for some reason because I'm on an RP server. I don't know. Maybe they pull us differently. I have no idea. I queued for a line of dungeons as part of that last part of the storyline on the Alliance mm -hmm. side because you have to go do regular... Like, there's like three regular dungeons you have to do and then you do the mythic. Okay, every single time I queued up, I queued up for that dungeon directly. I chose it. Oh, okay, that's I didn't different. choose random. I was in it within five minutes. Th that's something people have noticed. And as DPS. Yeah, people have noticed that, but we don't know what the deal is. Yeah, 
You don't know what's going on there. I've had that experience. I'm, well, that's I'm, why I'm, I'm purely addressing. I'm like, is that is that is there something going on with the queuing system? I'm purely addressing randoms because I don't know. I don't know what that is. I don't know why when I queued for Shrine of the Storms to do the uh, the, the the quest line to get the, the yeah, you know, like five minutes, right? It t- it took me like fifteen. But yeah. I mean, fifteen is a fraction that of the time. Yeah, but but queuing randoms, yeah, queuing randoms takes a lot longer, and but for tanking, again, immediate. I haven't tried queuing as a healer, so I don't have that experience. I do think the the queuing system is another one of those systems that's been in the game for a while. It's been in the game since Warlords, not Warlords, Wrath, um, and I don't know what they've done to it. If they've done anything, it could just be you know a consequence of the way things are. I don't think the tanking changes have been felt yet to that degree. Though I don't think they've nobody I know who tanks has stopped tanking because of them. I know people who are confused with by them or I am who don't wondering like them. how because obviously we have the new raid, old dear, that's going to come out in a couple of weeks here. Yeah, it should be. Uh, yeah, I think next week. Is it next week? I, I think, think LFR. we'll probably hear more about that. Well, I, I think it comes out in regular mode first and then LFR the week after that. But if we hear, I feel like. Once people start jumping into raiding as opposed to just doing Dungeons and Mythics, maybe we'll hear more feedback on that front as far as tanking and its effectiveness yeah. goes. Especially once you've got like gear starts going up to the yeah. point where people are like DPS is starting to get all up there. Still a little wimpy right now, unless you've been doing Mythics full time for the past, you know, a couple of weeks or whatever. You're still probably a little bit wimpy. You don't have the best gear out there. You don't have your <laughs> artifact god weapon anymore. <laughs> yeah. And you do the, the, best, system, the best you can with what you have because that's just how expansions start. But The Azerite system is basically, it's much more locked than it was doing the uh, artifact. So you get better gear and then you have to start all over again applying new traits to it and the traits take longer to unlock. So yeah, there's there's some, but Old Deer comes out on September 4th according to uh, the release date. Yeah, that's next week. Wow. So, Next week will be, um, I think it's the you know, normal and LFR, but I'm not sure. LFR okay. Wing 1. Okay. No, it's the first week is normal and heroic. They're opening the first, September 4th. Mythic and, and LFR 1 is the next week next of the week 11th. Next week after that. Yeah, they always delay LFR by a week, which I don't see why. But okay, I, whatever. I don't get why they do that when they're, they know they're going to delay the, the, the following wings by 2 and 3 are going to be delayed <sighs> two weeks each. So if you're doing LFR as your main thing, you're not even going to get to see, you know, Cahoon until uh, October 9th. Yeah. So. Oh, well, I, I can wait. It's fine. I have patience and I have lots of other things to do. So it's not like I don't have, it's not like I'm going to have nothing to do between now and then. It's just kind of, it's one of those uh, sort of annoying things. But to try and wrap the question up, um, in terms of tanking, I don't think tanking changes have affected you times that much yet. If from my own experience tanking, it isn't great. I don't like it as much. In fact, I went Death Knight because Death Knight tanking feels the best to me of all of them. It feels like the, the one with the most contribution to make. But none of them feel as strong as they were. And that's, you know, they made the changes they made. But I don't feel weak enough that I feel like tanks are quitting on Moss to, to, to have that effect on queuing. I think whatever's going on with queuing is its own thing. But that's just my take on it. Yeah. Um, someone pointed out in the chat channel, they said that uh, as far as queuing goes, when you queue for a dungeon directly, it brings the random dungeon people to you as opposed to you waiting in a random queue for enough people to show up for some ambiguous thing that's randomly chosen, 
So, yeah, I guess that would make sense for it being a little bit faster. But at that point, I'm like, well, why bother queuing for a random at all? I mean, yeah, you get the goodie bag or whatever. But if if you're just going to sit there and queue for like an hour or two hours, then why might bother? Well, you might as well just cycle through the ones you want to do. Yeah. Plus, you won't you won't get Temple of Sethralis, which... Wow, if you have eye vision, if you have visual problems, Temple of Sethralis is like a giant punch to the face. Yeah. Oh God, have you been in there yet? No. <laughs> there's a part of that dungeon where there's like glowing sparks everywhere in a puzzle <gasps> that you have to get around. A puzzle. They trigger. They trigger blinding flash headaches in me because Ooh. my eyes. Yeah. Yeah. I I had to I had to die and get rezzed on the other side to get through the first one because oh, it was no. that painful. So yeah, that's. That's not one I ever. That's that's the Oculus for me. This that's expansion. The, that's the one you'll be avoiding from now on. Yeah. Well, let's move on to another email here, and we'll go ahead and answer this one from Farangus, who's a dwarf priest from Torthaldrin. That's a server I don't hear of very often at all. They say hello, watchers, first generation patron here, proud of being part of the community. Thanks, Farangus. My question revolves around war mode and maybe a purpose other than simply allowing people to opt in and out of PvP. What if war mode is a way for Blizzard to gain data on the community's appetite for continuing the Horde vs. Alliance storyline? They could get a lot of data just from a player character's choice to participate in war mode. Interested in your opinion on this line of thought. For Azeroth, for Angus. I, I don't know if that's necessarily what they were looking for with war mode. I think war mode, they were just trying to come up with a way for PVPers that want a PVP, like world PVP, a way for them to be able to do that with a group of people that also want to be PVPing. Yeah. Guaranteed, and... these people, if you click war mode on, you're signing in deliberately. Yeah, it's it's different than you hear a lot of times before. Uh, you'd hear, well, I, I I have to be on this PvP server because all my friends are all here. All my but friends I hate... are here. Or, oh, this is where the raiding guild that I wanted to be. Unfortunately, they are on this server. I wouldn't want to be PvP, but I have to be here if I want to play with them. You know. Yeah. There's, they've now made it so every server, you can just make that decision. And I think that's a pretty good choice. Also, Blizzard doesn't talk about it that much, but every so often they drop a little hint to let you know they collect astonishing amounts of data on this game from this game they are all not, over the place yeah, they they are collecting data continuously and they're not shy about it but they don't talk about it much either because it doesn't why would that come up you know it's not one of those situations where they they feel the need but you see it not just in in wow but in every blizzard game anytime you see an overwatch person saying oh i got banned for no reason you see them come up with well actually on this day you did this and then you did this and then you did this and you did this and that's why you're banned but blizzard is keeping track of the game they have numerous logs they have people who go over everything so i don't think they designed war mode for that but i do think they're paying attention to war mode and they're paying attention to who signs up for it and why uh one of the things that even got mentioned was that a lot of people saw a lot more people in war mode when they were leveling and now that people are done leveling they've signed out of it they've dropped war mode because they don't need the leveling boost anymore so there, there's some awareness on Blizzard's part that maybe this needs to have different goals for max level people versus leveling players. And that's, that's something they're keeping track of. They mentioned this. Um, so do I think they designed it to collect data? No. Are they collecting data? Yes, they absolutely are. 
that, you know, do that's you think they're going to do anything with it? I I don't know because it's like I I have one character who's leveling through war mode. Like I've left him on. I I don't mind if he gets into PvP fights. He loses because I'm terrible on him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I I'm that I play that character when I feel like doing some world PvP. Um, and that's fine. I, I don't mind it, and I, I don't feel like it's. I don't resent it when he gets jumped because that's that's his decision that I made, you know. And uh, will they do something with it? I, I hope so. I hope they 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 keep it viable and keep it going. I like I'd what li- they're doing with it. I like I like the implementation of this system better than PvP realms. Yeah, that was definitely I think a good cho- good choice because it doesn't it doesn't make a, a realm a, like a no man's land for people who don't want to be PvP but want to play with their friends. Yeah. Anything Blizzard ever does to make it easier to play with your friends, I'm I'm down for. The the only the only quibble with that right now, and they mentioned this on the WoW Dev Q and A that they had last week, is that for RP realms right now, the way that you are grouped, if you want to do war mode, is you are grouped with people on your server who have also engaged in war mode, and RP realms are notoriously they don't have a gigantic population, so there's oh, no. not there's not a lot of world PvP to be when you take when you take a bunch of role players. This sounds like the beginning of a really terrible joke, but when you take a bunch of role players and they're already a pretty limited population, and you split them into the ones that would like to PvP versus the ones who are more interested in going and doing other things like I don't know role playing, you know that kind of stuff. You've got a very narrow window of people. Um, so one of the questions that came up at the dev Q and A was: Is there a way that RP realms in particular can be grouped with? Is there is there something that can be done about it? Because people on say I don't know Wormrest Accord. The ones that apply war mode, they're running into maybe like a handful of players out in the world, and that's it. Yeah, it's and, that same it, that same five guys. Yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't really. I mean, war mode's not really that exciting when there's not a lot of people to be had out there. So they were talking about different ideas of what they could do, and one of them that they mentioned, which honestly I think is probably their best bet, is just grouping all of the RP servers into one group. So that if you queue for war mode or if you sign up for war mode on an RP server, you're group- automatically grouped with all of the other RP servers in either like the North American or European realms. Yeah, that would make so, sense. Yeah, which that would probably... Be, because between all of the RP servers, you've probably got a pretty decent sized crowd. But just singly on their own, even the high pop RP realms are kind of like, um, I'm just twiddling my thumbs out here waiting for somebody to show up and kill me. You know, that on, on a realm like Sisters of Loon, you would possibly never see anybody. You would never see been... another being. <laughs> it's Sisters me and that of guy. Loon is very, it's very tumbleweed. <laughs> yeah, it's me and that guy over there who keeps coming by. Yeah, <laughs> other than him, nothing. <laughs> It's we like stop that, trying that old... to kill each other. Now we just sigh and exchange high yeah. fives and move on. <laughs> it's like that old cartoon with the sheepdog and the coyote. Yes. It's like you. you that's the horde guy and the alliance guy are the sheepdog and the coyote. Morning, Sam. Morning, Ralph. Ralph. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, I think that goes ahead. That that wraps us up for emails because we're kind of out of time here. We need to wrap up the show. Um. <laughs> Blizzard Watch. It's made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch and your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. 
Thanks very much, Ian. Uh, guys, again, if you have an email for the show, please send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com with subject line podcast or blizzardwatch so we know it's for this show. Well, thank you guys very much for listening. This has been the Blizzard Watch Podcast, and we will see you next week. 